so of course I've played around with with titles and chapters and even spoke at length but no I have not put pen to paper Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. I am so excited today to talk to Jillian Modes, a certified yoga instructor at Los Angelino, who in 2010 was compelled to no longer be called her birth name, Jeff, but identify as Jill, and she's been on the transgender journey ever since. She's weathered a common narrative amongst transgender women, family estrangement, addiction, mental health crises, job loss, evictions, housing discrimination, homelessness, suicide attempts, psychiatric hospitalizations, violent crime, sexual assaults, and jail. She's a dear friend to me and my daughters, and we are often subjects of one of her favorite pastimes, the selfie. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kim. How are you? Is it annoying that I always make bad faces in your selfies? Uh, that's just a judgment. That's on you. <laughs> But uh, that introduction, boy, uh, it sounds heavy. It's a little heavy. You've been through some stuff. Why don't you tell me about your journey? What about gratitude? Because I didn't mention any. You want to share some in that journey? Wow. Uh, You know, gratitude is much like wisdom in the sense that it's something that I've acquired after I've needed it. Each and every one of those uh, situations um, certainly wasn't planned. Uh, And, you know, friends will say that, uh, oh, Jill, you're so strong. You're so brave. And um, today I just say thank you. But it was more of, uh, you know, um, survival, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it does make sense. I know that, you know, that is your that is a dense list and the journey to gratitude from a list like that is is far and wide and one day at a time. But there was a low point for you. I believe when you were still, you know, in the other gender that tipped you off that, that you couldn't do this anymore. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, you know, we're old enough to remember, to hearken back to a time be, where where communication existed via mail and a postage stamp or on a phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, um, grew up in a very uh, socially liberal family and, um, well-educated by most means. And, you know, I, I went through life just thinking there was something, something inherently wrong with me or something inherently wrong in me Mm. and lived, lived many decades that way until I was able until the internet's early, early days, 
And I was able to research that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, I am transgendered. Mm. And had it not been for that ability to identify myself as such, um, yeah, that darkness would have remained. But even identifying that and knowing that that's true and, you know, a modicum of relief about that inside of you was not the ability to believe that you could love yourself as in the transition, right? Because if if the self-love was there, then there probably wouldn't have been some of the stuff on the list, right? Um. I'm not sure if they're mutually exclusive, okay. but where I became um, sort of in a pickle uh, was that I, I was about 35. I had just become sober for the first time and uh, started to look inwards and, and saw and was compelled and, and learned about being transgender and there's other individuals like this. And once, you know, once, once you have knowledge, you, you can't unlearn that. So that was what compelled me to find myself. Mm. So you, your sobriety helped you clear the fog that had been keeping you unable to go forward and, and take that knowledge and say, what if, were there a lot of what ifs? Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, sobriety played a, a, a key part. Um, I believe that that my addiction to drugs and alcohol, with which with which I suffered um, since being uh, very young, um, was a good way to distract myself from my myself. Mm-hmm. Externally, I, I, you know, thought I had it all together, and to some extent, I did. Was successful by by many means, um, and and was living the dream. It just didn't, just wasn't my dream. Right, right. It was right. You had the house, and you had the wife, and you had the kids, and you had the job, job, and the expense account, and the blah blah. And yet inside of you, something, you knew that this was not the life. Yeah, yes. And, you know, for me, um, when there's a loss of, when I've lost my external identity, you know, whether it be through a job or becoming sober or, or really getting a chance to reevaluate and look inward, that's really where where I found the work needs to be done, where where I need to find peace. And um, that's where the journey has ultimately led me to today is is a journey from within. Journey from within. And you are a certified yoga instructor and you're in your early fifties. You took this on as a later in life profession. Um, and you're excellent at it. I've done your classes. You're phenomenally good at it. 
what, how has yoga been a part of this transgender journey for you? Or maybe it hasn't been a part of it. Maybe I'm marrying them together incorrectly. Um, that's an interesting thought. Um, it's been uh, absolutely um, a key part of my recovery from drugs and alcohol. It's also been extremely liberating in terms of finding myself, finding my truth, being able to speak my truth and stand in my truth. And what yoga has done is just empowered me in that. Um, I've only been practicing for three years and I came across yoga um, in in recovery and uh, have certainly married the two and I spend a lot of time uh, teaching yoga to those uh, in recovery and uh, in the queer communities. Hmm. There was a time when you were living in your car. And I know it's hard to harken back to that because today you are in a wonderful place and teaching yoga and sober. But there's a lot of people driving around L.A. and you look in their car windows and you just know you're like they're living in their car. It's hard for me to believe you are one of those people. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> it was hard for me to believe I was one of those people. And, and, and mm. um, you know, I always considered myself. I'm pride of myself as, as being compassionate and understanding. But that was something that I couldn't understand until I experienced that firsthand. Um, and it's not a matter of them. Um, people who are housing insecure, whether they're living in cars and so on, are, are, are so often um, working, working multiple jobs. <clears throat> and um, it, it's just a sad indictment on, um, you know, the weakest individuals in our society. But that was a very dark time. And um, had I known I would have had to go through that amongst other things, you know, I, I, I would have I would have uh, I would have done anything not to experience that. So tell Tell the listeners a little bit about what one of those days look like. Well, at first, you know, uh, I mean, I had been a homeowner. I had uh, uh, lost my house in um, 2008 when the economy and individuals uh, lost a lot of uh, financial, quote unquote, security. Um, and then became a renter and in, in facing challenges with job security and other considerations, um, I was just going to spend the weekend in the car. Wow. And yeah, um, really, it went on, it went on for how long? Uh, almost 10 months. And you know, a typical day was, was, um, it was survival. And, and, and for me, I, I, 
uh, it, it, I was not in a state of, dep- I did not experience depression about it. Didn't, wasn't anxious over it. Uh, I think uh, from my experience shifted into a survival mode, which looked like where am I going to go to the bathroom? Where am I going to clean up? And what am I going to eat? And my days surround, I, I mean, were centered based on that. Um, my biggest fear was becoming destitute and indigent. Hmm. Were you, Jill, at the time you were in the car, had you fully transitioned? Yeah. Yes, I was. And um, uh, as you mentioned in the, the intro, it's, it's, a very common transgender narrative and, and transgender individuals experience um, housing issues at, at such a disproportionate uh, percentage than any other segment. Um, had I, um, yeah, I, but it was something I, I had to do. I was compelled to do. It was not a choice that, you know, I didn't choose to be, um, transgender is just who I am. Right. But then you're, you know, sitting in your car thinking, well, I've made this big push to be me and now I'm living in my car. Right. So that has to be a little bit of a mental game. It's like another level of challenge, right? God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Right. But that's a lot. It it is. Um, it was more like looking back, it was more like I couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, I, I, I had <laughs> started to embark on a journey a couple years earlier uh, of coming out and, quote unquote, finding myself. Little did I know I'd find myself living in my car. Um, so it 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 was uh, a path that that kept unfolding and and would become increasingly darker through through addiction, through uh, violent crime um, and other other experiences that I, I would have only previously read about. And speaking of reading, you know that I think you should write a book about all this. You may have mentioned that. <laughs> like every time I see you. But yes. it's, it's, and the reason why I say that is not because of the, you know, Hollywood-esque, you know, dark, you know, living in the car. No, it's, it's everything. It's the courage. It's the perseverance. It's the realities. Uh, you're, you're emblematic to a lot of men and women that ha- that don't have the, uh, that aren't in the position yet to make that transition. And, and you come from a place today where you're centered and you're a yogi. And so it is a really good narrative. What holds you back from writing? Hmm. Uh, that's a really good question. And um, like most things, when I get down to it, the only thing, the only person that's ever held me back in my life has been me, whether it's been conscious or, or subconsciously. So, uh, 
Yes, it's it's I, I, I would take responsibility for having yet to write my story. Do you noodle it all with writing? Is there anything that you have written before? Because you're a very creative person. Yes, thank you. Um, which I I would have never considered myself creative uh, previously. Um, I had a career in technology, and if anything, it was entirely the other other half of my brain. Um, you know, I I I love humor. Um, I like I love self-deprecating humor. So of course, I've played around with with titles and chapters, and even um, spoke at length, uh, whether it be uh, on panels or as a speaker. Um, to various community groups. But no, I have not put pen to paper. Everything has its time. And the book journey reveals itself when it's ready. But be assured, you know, you do have a really good story that can help a lot of people that are, you know, steps behind you looking for a role model. The... Female form is something that um, I just want to talk about this with you. I want to be, I want to get this right. Okay. So just correct me if it doesn't come out in a, in a, in a PC kind of way, but there was an, you were, you've, we've talked about this. You were enamored for a little while with what you could now do with your female body, dressing it up, um, being attractive to, you know, suitors. Was there a point where you were not well aligned with what you were doing in that area? Uh, are you talking about after coming out as mm-hmm. trans? Yes. Sure, sure. Um, I I don't believe in in the term politically correct. I I believe in correctness. I I, I believe there's um. It, it's just respectful. And that question was very respectfully placed. So I, I would correct you. Um, yes. Uh, so much of this journey over the past 10 years, um, about half of it has been an act of addiction um, with, with uh, pretty illicit drugs. And and so much of this journey into into my present being was uh, enmeshed with addiction, mental health issues, uh, sex work. So it's been a very um, it's been very challenging to untease that all and remain. Uh, you know, loving towards myself and and, uh, and healthy. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense that you would go into the direction of yoga, which is that mind-body connection and the ultimate self-love when you're on the mat, which is what yoga is designed to do. How did you find yoga? Um, I found it 
at, as part of my recovery community. Um, uh, there was a woman who started a yoga meeting in Santa Monica called Namaste Sober. And um, it's a great there title. was just a handful. Yes, thank you. Um, there were a handful of us, maybe about seven or eight, uh, when this started uh, about three and a half years ago. And it, it, it took a while for it to, you know, take root and spread by word of mouth. And now um, we have such a big turnout and it's become such a beloved part of the recovery community here in L.A., especially on the west side. It is. It's a great it's a great opportunity for people who are finding sobriety to shake it up a little bit versus. Yeah. Just and I would add. Minutes. Yeah, I would add as uh, part of this yogic journey is that. You know, you ever lose your keys, Kim? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you look around everywhere. You can't find them. And it turns out they were in your pocket the whole time. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of what this, this journey of, of self, self-love um, was and is, is that the answers and the fix I've always sought has been within me the whole time. You know, I was always looking for something external to you know, fix what was wrong with me. Yoga has helped me understand that there's nothing inherently wrong with me, you know, um, that I am absolutely perfect where and how I am. And that really the, the, the journey is one that's inward to gain that, that self-respect um, to see us, to see ourselves in, in that true divine light, if that makes any sense. That's beautiful. What do you see coming down the road for the next five or six years for the transgender community? Do you see the acceptance evolving or has the needle not moved that much? Uh, that's a good question. I, uh, my view, I think is a little myopic in that I live in Los Angeles in the year 2020. Um, and that isn't necessarily the same worldview all over. So being very fortunate to be in this space at this time, um, Yes, I see great strides being made, uh, especially amongst um, younger adults. And that's really, I I believe it's a generational um, issue in in that as time progresses, uh, more more and more people will understand that, A, I I am just human. And being everybody needs to pee, you know, the, the <laughs> insanity of, of these restroom uh, uh, bills that circulated a couple of years ago. Um, 
yeah, created some real fear and, and, and insanity. Yeah. It, it's good to hear that young people are being able to find their voice in this area. I know that, and I, I mentioned this only because it will give them strength, but your family, they are not necessarily on board with the new you and you're okay with that because you have to be right. I don't have to be. Um, but in order for me to be present, to be grateful and to be mindful in, in my life today, uh, that freedom has come through acceptance and that's, that's, come about through a lot of work, a lot of trauma work, a lot of work with therapists, a lot of work in recovery, uh, so much helping others, uh, albeit in the trans community or elsewhere. But I do want to go back to the prior comment in that uh, I think things, at least in Los Angeles, are certainly becoming much more accepting. We, we live in a very hostile world where um, things are becoming restrictive. Trans rights are being continued to be eroded and uh, stripped back. And the protections that were so hard fought over the last 10 years or so um, really remain at risk, not to mention in other parts of the world where um, it, it, it's just unheard of. In addition, uh, I'll just sum up on this, is that not just homelessness, but any um, metric that, that is used, whether it's addiction, whether it's um, violent crimes, including murder and sexual assaults, are nearly double in a trans community compared to the same age group in any other um, demographic. And last, I just point out that that um, the average life expectancy for a transgender person of color is 36 years old. So wow, yeah. So our focus can shift to help that community, so that they can, you know, change change those numbers. Those are pretty dark numbers. Yeah, and and I try and um, you know uh, think global and act local, uh, and, and that's really uh, so much of my recovery is, is being of love and service um, to all. You definitely exemplify that in everything that you've done, and you've walked the walk. So it's been amazing to have you come talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And may I aptly say namaste. Namaste, Kim. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at a storyinside.com. <laughs>